You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. You're now tuned into the Pod Awful channel. Pod Awful. Bi-quarterly women's social club. Days and convicted. Pool party radio. Show King. The Devil's Advocate. The Projection Booth. Awful Flips. Pod You are the keepers of the damned. You two know them all. And I'm tired of this usual type of entertainment. I want a decided change. Support for the Projection Booth Podcast comes from Stitcher Smart Radio. Now podcast listeners can access the latest episodes of the Projection Booth and thousands of other podcasts on the go without downloading or syncing. Stitcher instantly delivers episodes of your favorite shows to your mobile phone. Stitcher Smart Radio can be found in the iPhone and Android app stores or on the web at stitcher.com slash booth. Have you ever seen an orgy? An orgy of the dead? If not, let us show you a few scenes from our own orgy of the dead. Join the master of the dead and his equally infamous princess of darkness as they judge the beautiful gold girl and her sister companions. See, the Indian girl who tossed her lovers into fires and now must dance with fire. See, the bride who murdered her husband and now must dance perpetually before his skeleton. See, the curvaceous streetwalker. See, the Hawaiian girl who loved snakes and now must entice them forever with her snake-like movements that will also thrill you forever. See, the zombie in her macabre dance. See, the slave girl who was once a cruel queen and now, in turn, is abused by her subjects as she is forced to entertain them for eternity. See, the voluptuous cat girl as she reacts to the whips of pleasure. See, the skull ritual, a beautiful senorita as she quenches her irresistible thirst from her lover's skull. See, a woman who in life loved her own body but now must exhibit herself to please all, including you. See, the gold girl who worshiped gold above all else, her reward is complete transformation into solid gold. Shocking, terrifying, bizarre, and thrilling. Why don't you join us? Join the Orgy of the Dead. Coming to you in flaming color and widescreen soon. I am Mike White. For years I've told the almost unbelievable and shown it to be more than a fact. Now I tell a tale of the orgy of the dead, so astounding that some of you may faint. A story of those in the twilight time, once human, now monster, in a void between the living and the dead. Monsters to be pitied. Monsters to be despised. Joining me on this night with the ghouls is the Prince of Darkness, Mr. Rob St. Mary. Hey, buddy. 
Pass that bottle over here. Also joining us this week is Jordan Todorov, the director of Dad Made Dirty Movies. Hello, Mike. Hello, Rob. It's an honor and a real pleasure to be a guest of your Projection Boot uh, podcast. Also, thanks uh, for putting me in the in the company of such uh, film greats as Menahem, Guan, Ovebo, and uh, John Waters, to name but a few. Orgy of the Dead is a 1965 film from director Stephen C. Apostoloff, written by the one and only Edward D. Wood Jr. The film is the story of Bob and Shirley, two innocent middle-aged kids who get into an automobile accident and end up witnessing a macabre ceremony in which Criswell and the Princess of Darkness judge a bevy of souls who hope to pass into the underworld. Along for the ride are a mummy and a wolfman. There's wall-to-wall tunes as those who try to impress Chriswell and the Princess of Darkness perform long, sometimes involved, burlesque acts. If I am not pleased by tonight's entertainment, I shall banish their souls to everlasting damnation. Jordan, as our guest, when did you first see Orgy of the Dead, and what was your reaction, sir? Well, I, I first saw Orgy of the Dead uh, eight uh, years ago when I um, uh, learned about Stephen Apostolov uh, and his association with uh, uh, Edward. Um, and at that time, I started working on my, doc- uh, on my documentary, so I needed to see all the films uh, that um, Stephen Apostolov did. But this was uh, one of the first films I've ever saw uh, made by Stephen Apostolov. And I, I was uh, blown away. What, what can I say? I was trained as a film critic, but I would confess that I uh, didn't know, uh, at the time, I didn't know such a thing uh, called exploitation existed, much less that, that uh, one day I'll become a fan of it, you know. I was uh, blown away by by the orgy, uh, and I think it's one of the the, the more, most interesting films I've ever seen. Jordan, I, I detect a slight bit of an accent. I can't tell if it's Atlanta or somewhere else. Can you tell me where you're from? I'm from Bulgaria, the country of uh, Stephen Apostolov, who um, who is the director of uh, Orgy of the Dead. Yeah, we we come from uh, from the same country. So there were, was there kind of like a a curiosity about a filmmaker who had come from Bulgaria and I don't know if I would say made it big, but definitely made a mark in Hollywood. Yeah, I was uh, I was uh, interested in uh, him not only because he's coming from Bulgaria, but uh, because he he was uh, really uh, important uh, for the sex exploitation genre. And um, you know what? I I couldn't imagine uh, that someone uh, from Bulgaria could make a film like uh, Orgy that that seemed so strange to me. Judging by looking at the film. Rob, when was your first experience with Orgy of the Dead? I hadn't seen it all the way through until you sent it to me to put it on the show, but I did see bits of it in, um, I think, one or two different Ed Wood documentaries. And I remember reading about it in um, Rudolph Gray's book, uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy, about Ed Wood. So I had some uh, acquaintance with it, but I wasn't as familiar with it as I would be after I saw it all the way through the first time. I saw this one, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about going to the local blockbuster and checking out Black Shampoo and other titles over there. And this one was another blockbuster rental for me way back in the day. I'm not sure who found this one, but the cover art that proudly asked, are you a heterosexual on it really kind of caught my eye. This one was another one of those films that we watched over and over again when I was in high school and into early college. 
And it's funny because I didn't really care about the dancing nude girls. I was much more into the whole sub story with Chris Well and the princess of darkness, Bob and Shirley, the mummy and the wolf man. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but when I was a kid, I actually made my first fan edit using two VCRs and basically cut out, I would say 90% of the dancing when it came to this film and just left in maybe a little bit of the pussycat dance and the slave girl with her tortures and the, of course, the golden girl dance, because that one really has Chris Well very integrated into that dance. He's not dancing, per se, because we really only ever see him hanging out to the side. But, you know, his, his uh, wonderful quotes kind of fill up that that dance. I would see for approval the one who in life worship gold above all else. And B. Arthur's great in it because it's the Golden Girls dance, right? Mike, since you've mentioned the Slave Girl dance, I must say that I uh, somehow managed to, to find the actress uh, who, um, who was doing the, the part. Yeah, I was amazed to see her in your documentary. Uh, this is interesting. She's also a Bulgarian. She comes from Bulgaria. Can you imagine that? That whole thing in your documentary about her and her family disowning her and everything, that was amazing. Yeah, and uh, her name is uh, Nadezhda Dobrev, just for the record. Uh, she's kept from Bulgaria in the, the early 50s, uh, during the communist uh, era. So she landed up uh, in Hollywood, of all places. So let's talk a little bit more about the story. I kind of gave a, a thumbnail, and really there's not a whole lot more to this movie than a thumbnail, really. Because it starts with Bob and Shirley. And they're having a little bit of a, a row uh, in Bob's car, talking about Bob's career, what he's been up to, how he's making a living. And uh, Shirley's not really happy with Bob as far as him wanting to go to this old cemetery, because that's where some of the best ideas come to mind. You sure picked the wrong night to find a cemetery. Let's turn back. No, it's on a night like this when the best ideas come to mind. Does it have to be in a cemetery? You wouldn't understand. Seeing a cemetery on a night like this can stir in the mind the best ideas for a good horror story. But there's so many wonderful things to write about, Bob. Sure there are, and I've tried them all. Plays, love stories, westerns, dog stories. <laughs> now there was a good one, that dog story all about... But horror stories, why all the time horror stories? I've always been fascinated by this exchange that Bob and Shirley have, especially because he starts talking about how his writing career has changed over the years, and he used to write about all these different things, and he, he happens to mention this dog story, and Shirley cuts him off when it comes to what the dog story was about, and I've always wondered what that dog story could be, but... He finds that writing about horror creatures really is what pays the bills. Shirley, I wrote for years without selling a single word. My monsters have done well for me. You think I'd give that up just so I could write about trees or dogs or daisies? <laughs> daisies? That's it. I'll write about my creatures who are pushing up the daisies. Your Puritan upbringing holds you back from my monsters, but it certainly doesn't hurt your art of kissing. That's life. My kisses are alive. <laughs> Who's to say my monsters aren't alive? Which, to me, is interesting. It's very um, 
I guess you probably wouldn't know it in 1965 if you went to the theater to see this at the time. But as we know with Ed Wood and and all the stuff has been written about him and done on him, that um, it almost sounds autobiographical in a way. It, it sounds like Ed talking about his own career and how he can't sell anything and sort of how he's stuck in this genre. And for me, it almost sounds like the conversation that Bob is having with Shirley I don't know. It, it feels a little schizophrenic to me. It almost feels like Bob and Shirley are actually the same person sometimes. Like she's his female self. And we do know that Ed has a kind of a, a dual life when it comes to Glenn or Glenda. And for me, it's almost like Bob or Shirley kind of thing because he switches on a dime when it comes to what he's talking about with Shirley. And it really, if you just kind of close your eyes and listen to it, it almost sounds like an inner monologue just with two voices. You're right. Uh, but um, I must say that later on, and we all know this, Edward started writing sex books, uh, which uh, sort even uh, better than uh, horror stories. So let's not forget this was uh, 1965, right? I was always intrigued. I mean, for years and years, I I always just kind of laughed when the, the credits would come up and say, based on Ed Wood's book. And I couldn't picture what that book would be like. I kept thinking that, you know, it would be this whole thing where they would talk about, you know, this the girl who worships snakes and that and the the book would say and then she danced and that would be it you know but i finally tracked down the book years ago there was a um company called ramble house and they were putting out these ed wood reprints of stuff uh and there was one called suburban orgy and i do mean suburban even though it probably should have been suburban but I don't know if it was a typo or if it was supposed to be funny as far as the title. And it was a two books in one, Suburban Confidential and Orgy of the Dead. So I finally got to read Orgy of the Dead. And there's no dancing in the book, which is kind of weird. But it is very, very, very similar as far as the whole Bob and Shirley narrative and the Chriswell character and the Princess of Darkness character. Instead of people coming out and dancing, basically they come out and do a soliloquy about their lives. And there's uh, two women, I think, and then three men. One of the men is this guy who uh, would basically steal everything from the corpses that were brought in. He was an undertaker, and um, he would kind of violate the bodies. There was no necrophilia in this one, which was kind of odd for Ed because he really liked to write about necrophilia which was kind of weird. And of course, there's a lot of attention being paid in the book to Shirley's Angora sweater, which I found very interesting. Mike, you know what? Uh, the book uh, that you're referring to uh, came later on. I talked to uh, about the late Forrester J. Ackerman, who wrote the, the preface of, uh, of the, the book, and Earl Kemp, who published it, uh, the original paper back in the 60s. Oh, just told me that uh, it was uh, a good uh, deal. So he uh, he had those pictures from Stephen Apostle's uh, film, and he had like um, I think twelve stories, like a series of uh, vignettes. Uh, so that's that's the book that you're referring to. It's to it's not very connected to 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 the film itself. So you're saying movie first and then book later? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ed, Edward kind of uh, tried to jump on the, the wagon. You know what I mean? Uh, because the, the movie was uh, really popular uh, for a short period of time, so he tried to, to, to publish a book. Uh. Interesting, okay. 
And then I never knew this, that the opening and the closing of Orgy of the Dead are really super similar to what Ed had done before with the Night of the Ghouls. I had never seen Night of the Ghouls until just the other day, and that opening and closing monologue that Chriswell does are, I won't say verbatim, but they're pretty darn close to verbatim as far as what is going on in Orgy of the Dead. I am Chriswell. For many years I have told you the almost unbelievable related the unreal and showed it to be more than fact. Now I tell you a tale of the threshold people. So astounding that some of you may faint. This is a story of those in the twilight time. Once human, now monsters in a world between the living and the dead. Monsters to be pitied. Monsters to be despised. I am Chriswell. For years I have told the almost unbelievable, related the unreal, and showed it to be more than a fact. Now I tell a tale of the threshold people, so astounding that some of you may faint. This is a story of those in the twilight time, once human, now monsters, in a void between the living and the dead. Monsters to be pitied, monsters to be despised. A night with the ghouls, the ghouls reborn from the innermost depths of the world. Well, um, as we all know, Ed, uh, Ed Wood uh, used to recycle a lot of uh, um, a lot of parts of his, his stories and films. So yeah, the the, the opening monologue uh, is pretty similar. The thing that's that's interesting in the documentary that you did and just watching the film itself. Is that um, like the first time I watched it? I, I watched Orgy of the Dead all the way through, and then I watched your documentary. And in watching it the first time, I go, "Man, like Chris Wells seemed really doped up. Like he just doesn't like seem all that there." And there's these reaction shots that are just hilarious. Like, like I don't think they were trying to be funny, but when when they cut to him, sort of like looking at them supposedly dancing it's just the funniest intercuts and especially in that opening the two guys come into the crypt and they open up the coffin and then chris wells laying in the coffin and i was thinking to myself i'm like did he sit up in the coffin no he did not sit up in the coffin he actually uh moves to a sit-up position during a um a dissolve and the reason being as we find out in the documentary, uh, he was pretty bombed during the entire shooting yeah. of Orgy of the Dead, hitting the sauce pretty heavy. Yeah, and uh, Stephen Apostolov uh, was uh, really mad, and um, he started uh, cursing in Bulgarian uh, on the set. Could you imagine that? It's another very uh, tiny detail that tells you a lot about uh, the atmosphere on uh, on the set. I was so surprised and so happy to see all of the kind of behind-the-scenes footage that you had in Dad Made Dirty Movies. How did you get your hands on that? Well, I I first went to the United States in 2006, and I went through the whole archive of Stephen Apostle. So I, so I, I found a lot of things connected to, to his films, and especially Orgy of the Dead. And one of the things that I found was this um, 16 millimeter. Uh, film behind the scene uh, film and uh, it was a real treasure i mean uh, to see uh, how how the, the whole thing happened you know 
and when I was doing the research, I found a lot of interesting facts, and and I, I managed to fa- find some of the people involved uh, in Orgy of the Dead, but unfortunately, they didn't want to to talk to me. For example, I managed to to find uh, Fawn Silva. Let me tell you the story of uh, Fawn Silva. I managed to find her because. Um, she, she's the daughter of a very uh, famous guy in Hollywood. He used to own uh, parts of uh, Republic uh, Pictures, the old uh, Hollywood studio. So uh, she's uh, a famous uh, psychiatrist uh, right now, and she doesn't want to, to talk about her past uh, being part of uh, Orgy of the Dead, you know, as an actress. So she kind of told me, don't, don't you ever call me again, you know. I managed to track her down and... She wasn't happy to to talk to me about the uh, orgy of the dead. I don't know why. What is your uh, what is your guess? Well, over the years, we have found that um, some people are absolutely fine with what they've done in the past as far as their work, but then other folks are just, you know, do not talk to me about this, and they just get almost like ashamed of what they've done in the past. Well, I remember you talking about on the black uh, shampoo episode, how you were talking to Tanya Boyd and you were talking to her about all this stuff. And then you brought up black shampoo and she's like, okay, we're done. Yeah. And I know like a lot of uh, people that have done adult films get really weird about their past work. I don't know about Fawn Silver because I've only seen her in Orgy of the Dead, and she's one of the very few women that doesn't get topless in the film. I mean, she's got her boobs kind of sticking out there, and she's looking great, kind of this proto-goth thing going on, this this uh, vampira that's a little bit more busty than vampira. But, yeah, just uh, it's weird that she kind of divorced herself from her past. That's a, kind of a shame. As for the production itself, what did you learn in your research going through the archives in terms of how or the Orgy of the Dead came to be, and how long did it take them to put it together? It all started with a screenplay called uh, Nudie Gullies. Uh, Stephen Apostol bought it um, from Edward uh, for $400. I, I suppose you, you both know the, the story of their first uh, meeting. Um, they, they met each other at uh, the Brown Derby restaurant. And Ed was uh, wearing a, a bra and a, a golden hair. And he had a, a three-day beard and fake boobs. And uh, Stephen Postoff was uh, shocked, to say the, the least. Uh, so he uh, come back uh, home afterwards. And he checked the meaning of the word uh, transvestite uh, in uh, Merriam-Webster's uh, diction- dictionary, you know. So that's that was uh, their first meet- meeting. But I, I must say that um, the story and the, the film uh, in general, Orgy of the Dead, uh, was uh, pretty outdated in 1964. So um, Stephen... Uh, Nevertheless, he, he bought uh, the, the screenplay um, from Ed Wood, and um, they uh, started uh, the film in the, in late 1965. The budget was uh, around $56,000, uh, which is about uh, $380,000 now. The DOP uh, was um, called uh, Bob Carmico. Uh, Stephen found him uh, in Glendale, um, on the set of uh, one of uh, Roger Connors' uh, movies. And he also found uh, Fawn Silver at the same uh, set. And, uh, of course, Eddie brought uh, Criswell, who didn't talk uh, much, as as far as, um, as I can remember from, uh, from some interviews uh, that I read with uh, Stephen Apostol. 
So one day uh, they were looking for Criswell uh, all over the place, and uh, finally they found him sleeping in a coffin, you know. So it was something normal for him to do. It always felt to me, and please correct me because this is probably my misinterpretation, it always felt to me like maybe they kind of went down to the local strip club, had you know a couple hundred bucks and said, we need some dancers. Because some of the dances just seem like they're really kind of thrown together, especially the woman who dances, quote-unquote, with the corpse of her husband, which is basically a medical skeleton. You can see the metal hook hanging out of its its skull and everything. And she's doing this dance, which would probably be more effective with tassels, but as it is, she just is kind of moving her boobs back and forth for a long time. But she sure is happy about it. Most of the, the, the actresses, the so-called actresses, are um, basically strippers, uh, but uh, Stephen uh, found them through CHN uh, International, that's uh, the agency of How Gatu. And uh, Nadezhda Dobrev was one of uh, those actresses. Uh, she used to dance uh, at the famous um, Whiskey Go-Go Club on um, Sunset Boulevard at the time, and uh, she wanted to be an actress, so she kind of jumped on the, the opportunity to be in that movie. Most of the actresses uh, were strippers, basically. But uh, another interesting story about uh, the, the dances um, is, is the story of the choreographer, Mark Desmond. Uh, first, uh, Stephen Apostolov, uh, he used another uh, choreographer, but uh, she was uh, pretty nasty to, to the girls, and she shouted at him, which pissed him off, and uh, he, he just um, fired her, and uh, he went to his uh, haberdasher, uh, Mark Desmond, and uh, said, uh, well, Mark, since you, you could uh, dance well, why don't you come and uh, do the choreography of my film? And he said, okay, so that's, that's the story. He's not a real choreographer, you know. I was I was actually amazed when you said there was a choreographer because to me they seem so ad hoc and like somebody just coming up with these dances off the top of their head like like I can just imagine him setting up the scene going okay uh, here's your outfit just dance for like five minutes five minutes it feels like some of those things go on forever <laughs> <laughs> well the whole film to me feels like um, like like you were saying uh, Jordan that this almost is a a movie that's um, outdated that it was something that was actually earlier because to me watching it it feels like um like i've seen burlesque clips or loops or whatever you know where you see like betty page or whatever for five minutes or ten minutes and and to me it seems like a bunch of burlesque loops just tied together with a really loose story that's that's what i thought of when i first watched orgy of the dead yeah and uh, it's funny that uh, you're saying this because uh, the film inspired uh, a lot of uh burlesque shows in the, the last uh, few years. Uh, for example, I, I used a small clip from uh, one of those uh, shows made by the Screaming Chicken uh, Company in, um, I think it was in Vancouver. It kind of uh, inspired a lot of uh, burlesque acts, you know, lately. What do you know about Pat Barrington or Barringer, who played both Shirley and the Gold Girl? Well, you know, uh, for me, uh, Pat Barringer is uh, like uh, the, the holy grail of uh, all the sexploitation actresses. I mean, uh, I know that a lot of uh, people are trying to, to, to find her, and I, I've also tried to, to do that, but um, unsuccessfully, so she's like the, the holy grail to me. But um, I, I think I, I find it um, 
interesting that uh, at a certain moment uh, in Orgy, uh, she's, um, uh, because she plays two roles in the, the film, uh, so she's kind of playing the golden girl and uh, she also plays Shirley and uh, she's watching herself, you know, for, for a short period of time. Don't you think this is uh, bizarre? Yeah, and I never knew, like, for the longest time that that was her as the gold girl. It kind of makes sense, uh, especially because Shirley throughout the film is wearing a lot of either different hairstyles or different wigs because her hair changes quite a few times as we go through the movie. And so I guess just kind of throwing the, the gold wig on her would make just as much sense. Yeah, and Stephen Apostle said um, that she was uh, kind of uh, misguided, you know what I mean? Like, she, she told her that she would be the next uh, big star in uh, Hollywood, uh, but she, she disappeared. And um, the funny thing about uh, the goat girl is uh, that um, when, when Stephen Apostle wanted to, to paint her body uh, with, um, with, a, uh, with goat, uh, someone uh, told her that uh, she will eventually uh, suffocate and uh, die because her skin uh, wouldn't be able to, to breathe. And she first, she, she said, uh, I don't want to do that, but uh, then uh, somehow agreed. I heard originally that was going to be Buddy Epson, but he was allergic to the gold paint. <laughs> but don't forget that um, it was uh, in the 60s and uh, Goldfinger came out uh, two years later. So Stephen Apostle kind of uh, trying to reference uh, this movie in Orgy of the Dead. What's your favorite dance when it comes to the film? I'll, I'll ask you first, Jordan. I would say uh, the Hawaiian da dance is uh, quite uh, sexy. I, I, I find it uh, very titillating. How about you, Rob? I uh, like the cat. Hey, pussycat is born to be whooped. I think her outfit is probably the most involved. That's probably why it works for me. The one thing I notice about Orgy of the Dead is that most of the dances start off topless and they end topless. There's really nowhere to go. I feel bad for the, the girls who are in these dances because it just doesn't seem like there's a light like you were talking about, just this woman swinging her hips for five minutes and there's really nothing else for her to do. I always call her Laverne DeFazio because she's got that same face. Yeah, the, the wedding dance. She always reminds me of Laverne. Penny Marshall. Now, the cat dance is great. I'm always reminded of Can Your Pussy Do the Dog by the Cramps whenever I see that one. The outfit she's wearing seems a lot like uh, Poison Ivy's outfit from the single. Yeah, I, I think that either the the pussycat dance or the slave girl with her tortures is my favorite one. Just because of, really, all of the commentary from Chriswell as we go along. Torture, torture, it pleasures me. What I really like about the dances in the film as well is that I'm a big fan of um, exotica and lounge music. So the music that's played during these dances is very much in the vein of like Martin Denny and Arthur Lyman and Esquivel and all that stuff. So it's for me, it was just just listening to the soundtrack was was great. Yeah, it, it was written by um, this guy, um, Mendoza Nava. And uh, he wrote uh, some uh, other music for um, for the next uh, films uh, Stephen Apostle uh, did. But speaking of um, costumes, uh, let me tell you a story about uh, the cat girl costume. Uh, after the, the movie was finished, uh, they gave it to uh, Stephen Apostle's children. But they um, see uh, the, the 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 back 
part of it where where the the the, the asses of the cat go, you know, because they they kind of sue it uh, in order to, to for them to to be able to to wear it. And um, St- Steve Apostle, the, the oldest uh, son of uh, Stephen Apostle, uh, he got um, one of the whips. And he still keeps uh, keeps it uh, in his restaurant. And uh, when uh, his uh, workers are not uh, work very hard, you know, he he's taking it uh, from the wall and he starts uh, wheeling. He's he's wielding the the whip uh, around and try uh, trying to make them work harder. You know. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, one place you don't want to work, Stephen Apostolov's restaurant, where you can get whipped. With the right, Orgy of yeah. the Dead whip. Unless you're a big fan of Orgy of the Dead. So there you go. Torture, torture, it pleasures me. We're going to take a break and play an interview with Andrew Rausch about his upcoming book on one of the men that we have to thank for this madness, Mr. Edward Jr. Hello, I'm Dame Judy Dench, Her Royal Highness, the Honorary Queen of the British Isles, parts of the Caribbean, and I have a scarf consortium in the basement of Harrods. I'm just here to tell you all about this wonderful, relatively new podcast from the After Movie Diner. There's movie discussion, interviews with independent film directors, music, and abject silliness. First thing, every Monday, just in time for your sweaty and stressful commute. Or like me, maybe you're sprawled seductively on a chaise long waiting for a really good breakfast. Go to amdpodcast.blogspot.com or search for After Movie Diner on iTunes, TalkShoe, Podbean, or Facebook and get that dose of goodness that you've been looking for. For all your sleepless nights, long commutes, lonely weekends, maybe spent dressed in a tutu playing checkers with machine-eating Nutella straight from the jar, it's the After Movie Diner podcast, filled with all the B-movie vitamins your body deserves. Join me for 100 years of horror. Where can horror fans go to feel welcomed? We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. Where they're sure to be safe from harm. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. The answer is deep down in the boiler room with the Phantom Eric and his reanimated skeleton friend, Lester Reaper. It's alive. Watching. Waiting. With a new film and related themes each week, there will be plenty of monsters and ghosts to meet, and perhaps even some of the living dead. We're going to meet death now! <laughs> the living dead! <laughs> so make sure the doors are locked and the children are put to bed. Have you checked the children? children. And join us on iTunes, Stitcher, and through the horophilia.com network. Join us! Join us! The Phantom Eric and Lester Reaper are ready for the journey. Are you? We have such sights to show you. Life is so busy. From my job to my family and all the things in between, sometimes you need to make a little time for yourself. And I found something nice to make those times oh so sweet. It's Vibrators.com. Vibrators.com has the perfect products for women, men, and couples. And if you're new to all this, they have plenty of helpful suggestions and information to make sure you get something just right for you. Plus, for over a decade, Vibrators.com has taken your privacy seriously. Go to the site and read all about it. And right now, when you use the special code BOOTH, that's B-O-O-T-H, at checkout, you'll receive free priority shipping 
on any order from Vibrators.com's huge catalog. That's Vibrators.com. Do something nice for you. My name is Andrew Roush, and uh, I'm the author of uh, quite a few books on film. My newest book is uh, written with Charles Pratt, Jr., and it is uh, about the wonderful world of Ed Wood. It's going to be called The Wonderfully Inept Films of Ed Wood. We say wonderful and inept because we believe that even though they are inept, we don't want to, you know, put the man down because we find that, uh, you know, his his work is wonderful in its way. Um, You know, he did the best with what he had. Through thick and thin, he found a way to continue making movies right up until his death. So what more could you ask for? Of all the subjects that you've covered, and you've covered plenty, why did you focus on Ed Wood for this one? I was interested in uh, Wood's work, and I hadn't seen a lot of it, and which may be a key of why I wrote this book. I hadn't seen a lot of it, and I wanted an excuse to sit down and watch all these movies. The reason I say uh, you know that might have been an excuse was because, uh, or, or that maybe that was the reason, was because once we got into it, we found that... Uh, you know, very few of Wood's films are really the fun Ed Wood that we like to imagine. Orgy of the Dead is certainly one of the last true Ed Wood movies, even though it was directed by A.C. Stephen and uh, or Stephen Apostoloff, whichever name we want to give him. You know, other than The Venus Flytrap, which came up five years later, and uh, for many years nobody even knew Wood wrote, this would be the second or last, the penultimate uh, true Ed Wood film. After that, it was just a lot of nudie movies and... Uh, you know, standard fare for the movie movies. So how long has this taken you to put together? We've been working on it for about a year. To be honest, we probably could have done it a little bit quicker. We've had some holdups and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I've been working on it for about a year. Um, I've kind of always had a fascination with Wood, though. Uh, I interviewed Stephen Apostoloff back in 1999 when he was still with us and uh, found him to be a really fascinating guy. He was equally as weird as Wood, um, as equally as uh, naive, I might say, because he really believed that uh, Orgy of the Dead was a precursor to MTV. He believed that uh, his film may have inspired music television, which, if anybody had seen this, it's a pretty far cry from MTV. It does kind of have, you know, maybe Chris Well. He's, he's right. kind of the uh, Alan Hunter. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, Gulita as uh, Martha Quinn. Right. Maybe more of a Nina Blackwood, I suppose. Nina Blackwood, there you go. Yeah. It, it was a little weird. And he, it was funny because Eyes Wide Shut had just come out. And I remember him complaining to me about how Eyes Wide Shut was not sensual at all. And whether you agree with that or you disagree with that, I think you'd have to find that it's more sensual than Orgy of the Dead. The one thing that we found when we really studied Orgy of the Dead, sadly, uh, I mean, it's, it's sad to think of anyone watching this more than a few times, you know, as it's really not that entertaining. It's not very sensual. It's sort of like, uh, and I give credit to this line to my writing partner, uh, Charles Pratt, but it's sort of like a 10-year-old's view of what sex might be like. It's a lot of jiggling, wiggling boobs. There's a little bit of talk about how torture pleases me and, you know, uh, allusions made to uh, fun and torture, but that's about it. Out of the 90-minute running time, more than 70 minutes of it is just people wiggling and jiggling their breasts. And uh, it's an interesting film, to be sure. Uh, again, it's the last of Woods movies that, that really contain all of his uh, earmarks, with the exception of the Venus flytrap. After that, it, it all went downhill fast. Maybe you can shed some light on this one for me. What okay. was his film Necrophilia like? Um, well, he made uh, two versions of that. He made one, which was an explicit version, which was an X-rated version, and he made an R-rated version. 
they were about two or three minutes in running time different. There, there was a lot of stuff about death. There was, uh, it, but it, it was an equally, you know, really naive, weird movie. There was talk that he wanted Vampira to be in it, which is ludicrous. You know, of course she was going to say no because it was a hardcore porno. But it, it's got to be the sloppiest porno I've ever seen because it actually makes Stephen Apostoloff look like a great filmmaker. In comparison, I realize this takes place, you know, in the 70s, but all of the people have humongous pubis hair, like humongous Afro bushes, and they're just out of control. And, uh, and, and, it, and none of the people are very attractive in Nicolomania, and uh, there's, uh, the, the performers have dirty feet, which kind of takes away from the sensuality that might, you know, any sensuality that might occur. Uh, he was a really weird guy. He had a, had a thing for death and uh, sex, and he got to bring all of those things together in Necromania. Yeah, I've read a lot of his books, and he seemed to have a, a real kind of uh, necrophilia bent to it. I mean, not as strong as the transvesticism, of course, but there was definitely that kind of went through a lot of his stories. Yeah, he, you know, he did have certain interests that came up again and again. And one of the things we found interesting in these films is that you know, he pleaded in Glenn or Glenda for people to understand his lifestyle as a transvestite. And, you know, in the 1950s, people weren't ready to embrace that, obviously. But in his films, his later films, he really looks down on homosexuality. I mean, he makes fun of it, he shuns it, he mocks it, you know, which I found weird for someone who really wants people to understand his lifestyle. I found it weird that he would be so kind of crappy and dismissive toward other people's lifestyles. And another thing that sort of, or sort of uh, we found kind of bothersome was his, uh, you know, you don't look for progressive views in porno films, but, you know, when you see recurring themes, you can kind of guess that, you know, would, may have felt a certain way. And the, the things that we found bothersome or worrisome, I guess we should say, was that uh, his views on rape were, were rather skewed. Characters would be raped, and people in a couple of those movies, and people would, the male characters especially, would all just dismiss it. Ah, she deserves it. She's a whore. And, and, and we found in a lot of the Wood films, not to get too far off subject, but we did find in a lot of the Wood films that he had a real distrust for women's lib, and uh, he had kind of a distrust for women. He didn't really trust them. He, he felt that as long as they, and this is what we got from the, you know, our viewings, uh, he felt like as long as women went along and did what they were expected by society, everything's okay. But as soon as a woman broke the norm and, you know, tries to break those boundaries, all hell breaks loose. And as you know from Woods films, anything can happen once all hell breaks loose. You know, you can end up with communism and criminality and all kind of uh, just really crazy shit. Woods was uh, just an interesting guy, and he had a really interesting, naive view of the way things work, be it sexuality, be it the government, be it... Uh, just about anything, you know, he, he's just a, was a fascinating man. I wish there was more out there to tell us more about him as a person. There's that interview with Apostolov where he's talking about the first time that he met Ed Wood. And I guess maybe I just got it from like the Ed Wood movie or something, but I never really pictured him going out in public in drag. Right. But to hear him out there like with a blonde wig and a three day growth of beard, it's like, okay, I didn't really picture that. So it seems like there is a lot of stuff that right. is out there that just, yeah, it, it, people don't really think about or know about. Well, you know, Stephen Apostoloff told me that when he met Ed Wood, they were supposed to meet in a bar, and Ed came in dressed as a woman with a mustache. And that was the first time that they ever met. And I'm sure that was quite a startling meeting. But, uh, yeah, he was, 
kind of a weird guy, uh, fascinating guy, talented in some ways, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, the one thing that I found is a lot of writers tend to put him up on a pedestal and now and try to go back and say, well, he was a genius. He was uh, this misunderstood true artist. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think he wanted to be those things. I'm just not sure that he possessed the talent to, to really achieve those things. I mean, I can't see him with a bigger budget still being able to do the things he wanted to do. I think I think if he had a bigger budget, you'd have ended up with a bigger scale Plan 9 from outer space, exactly as it is now. I don't think he was a hack, but I don't think he was the genius filmmaker that a lot of people wanted to be. I, I just think it's somewhere in the middle. And, uh, you know, I applaud him that he was able to find the successes as low as they were in his lifetime that he did find so that he could continue to make films, which was his dream. I know this isn't the first time that you've worked with a co-author. I've seen your name coupled with some other of my favorite writers, uh, right. David Walker, for example. Right. What is it like working with another co-author? And especially, what is it like working with Charles Pratt on this? How did you guys kind of divide up the work, or what is that like to co-author? Uh, well, it's different on every project. This is my first book with Charles Pratt, and it's been interesting. The biggest reason I wanted a co-author on this was to kind of have somebody to watch it with and to kind of bounce ideas. We can bounce ideas off of one another of our viewpoints about what we're seeing on screen. And sometimes one of us will point out something that the other one didn't see. Then we'll take turns writing a first draft. We uh, take a lot of notes, discuss the stuff thoroughly so that we kind of know what's going to be in there. And then one of us will write a first draft, and the other one will go back over and, uh, you know, punch it up, write a few jokes in there, here and there, um, because you can't write an Ed Wood book without some jokes. Come on. It, but it's been a, a pleasurable, uh, pleasurable experience. We're just now finishing the book. We've watched all of the films. We've covered all the films. Right now, the last thing we have to do is uh, watch the short films for a small little chapter on his short films. But other than that, we're done. I expect the book to be out sometime around May. It's been a really great experience working with Charles. Charles had a lot of insight, and uh, he's a witty guy, and he loves bad movies just like I do. So it was a good fit. Now, when it comes to what movies you're covering, you know, you're going back, you're doing the shorts, you're doing stuff that Wood directed, stuff that he wrote as well. Did you kind of set any limits as far as that stuff went? Because I know there was a whole little movement there in the 90s where it was stuff that was based off of Edward's books or just kind of inspired by. Where did you draw the line when it came to that? Well, basically, um, we tried to cover anything that was written by Wood, directed by Wood, or adapted from one of Wood's novels. You know, there were some little shorts here and there that other people directed, you know, loosely based on his stuff or sequelizing his stuff. We didn't cover those. But uh, we did cover the Andre Perkowski film. Uh, I guess he had two, which were Devil Girls and uh, Tomb of the Vampire. Let's see, what was the other one? I Woke Up Early the Day I Died, which we kind of believe in a way was, you know, some people don't like that movie, but I found it very avant-garde. And we kind of uh, assert in our book that we believe that it is the masterpiece in terms of Wood's work that Wood would have always wanted to make. Uh, you know, we found it to be the best of all things based on a Wood script. We thought that was really the high point. Sadly, we kind of found Andre Prokowski's films to be the low point. And I say that trying to be careful because I'm good friends with Andre, and he's been really helpful with this book. And he kind of knows what his movies are, where they're at. But uh, he has realistic views of his movies. But they're sort of... Uh, the worst of the Wood canon. You know, there were a couple of movies where Wood wasn't credited, and we weren't sure, you know, how we were going to, you know, where it's been disputed whether or not he wrote them. And uh, so we weren't really sure then, uh, whether or not we were going to cover them. But uh, Fred Owen Ray 
actually told us that he came across some documents which uh, authenticated uh, at least one of the films. So that you know that was nice because this will be the first book that'll be able to authenticate uh, some of this stuff. We cover 29 films in all. And uh, a lot of people don't associate Wood with that many films. People think of the, you know, everybody knows Glenda Glenda, everybody knows Bride of the Monster, everybody knows Plan 9. But beyond that, we found that hardly anybody has seen more than maybe five of these films. A lot of them are hard to find, four of them are lost. So on top of the 29 we cover, there are four that are lost out there. We kind of wanted to take the view of we're doing it so you don't have to do it. Uh, we kind of wanted to give the experience of an Edward film without you having to actually sit and watch the thing. Maybe it will spur you to want to watch it, or maybe, you know, as in some of the, the bad sex stuff later on, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see it and you'll say, well, you know, I, I know enough about it now having read this chapter. I don't really need to sit down and waste my time watching this. Do you know, I, it's been years since I've heard what the story was with I Woke Up Early the Day I Died, as far as why it's never really been released on DVD in the U.S., you know, we have an interview with Eris uh, Iliopoulos, the director in the book, and he talks a little bit about it. Um, I don't remember offhand all of the details. It had to do with uh, one of the companies that was putting it out went out of business. At, le- at least this is his story. I've heard other stories. You know, and there was a lot of stuff. Like, uh, I think you and I talked about how their website got hacked. Yeah, like hacked by their own webmaster, it almost seems like. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so it's fascinating. I'm sure there's more story there than what we've got, but his story was just that one of the companies that was supposed to put it out went out of business and all of the, you know, got wrapped up in legalities as far as who owned it. Apparently he and Billy Zane still want to put, put it out again or, uh, you know, give it proper releasing here. But, uh, as of yet, it just hasn't happened. Who else did you track down for the book? We had a hard time tracking many people down. Most of the people that were really associated with Wood are dead, you know, and the ones that are around are kind of kooky, apparently. I'm not going to name any names. I'm just going to say that some of them are kind of weird. Uh, all of them apparently think there's a lot of money to be made in Wood, which, you know, it's about 15 years too late. I mean, let's be honest, you know, you're an author, I'm an author, we know this book is not going to make a lot of money. But these people think that there's a lot of money to be made there. And so they hold out for more money. They insist they have to be paid for interviews. I had one actor, <clears throat> Conrad Brooks, <clears throat> who, uh, you know, we paid, and then he refused to do the interview unless we paid him more money. So it's been interesting. There weren't a lot of people to interview. Interestingly enough, though, uh, we did find out that one of the movies, One Million ACDC, uh, which is one of the sex movies uh, that has uh, cavemen, I actually found out that it was directed by an old friend of mine who I'd written a book with named Gary Graver. Uh, when Gary was alive, I never knew this, so I was not able to interview him about this project. Even though we were really good friends, the, the movie never came up. I didn't find out about it until uh, after his death in 2006. There aren't a lot of interviews in the book. We just dug as much as we can, tried to come up with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of analysis of the project. Still trying to get an interview with Billy Zane. Uh, I haven't had any luck with that. Probably going to be interviewing, I'm going to mess up his last name, Larry Karazowski, who co-wrote uh, the film Ed Wood. So that's one of the last things to do in this book. The majority of the original people, we just didn't have the funds to keep you know, following money to them. And uh, so a lot of those interviews didn't happen. Yeah, I can't say I'm real surprised. I mean, even from the movie, which I know, of course, was highly fictionalized, it just seemed like he kind of attracted down and out kind of people. Right. 
Right. He had a, a little clique of uh, ne'er-do-wells, I, I might say, uh, you know, weird people. And we've kind of figured that, uh, you know, Stephen Apostoloff was one of those unusual characters as well. Because Apostoloff uh, hired Wood to write not only Orgy of the Dead, but eight other films. And you have to think that anybody that would write, that would hire Ed Wood to write their film has to be a little quirky themselves. What, I don't know if you've heard the story. On Orgy of the Dead, Wood was actually fired. Stephen Apostoloff gave him some money to go get some supplies, and Wood came back with several hundred dollars worth of alcohol. By this point, he was, uh, I won't say it wrong, but I'll say a very liberal drinker. He certainly knew his way around a bar and around a bottle. So he came back with a lot of booze, and uh, they got into a huge fight. Apostoloff fired him and vowed never to work with him again. They didn't work again for, I think it was seven years. And then they got together and they just started churning out pure sex films. Nothing like Orgy of the Dead, but just pure sex films, one right after another. I think they did three or four in 1972. So they were very prolific with these movies. I never had seen Night of the Ghouls until I started doing research for Orgy of the Dead. I never knew really about the similarities between these two films, especially the opening, the closing with Chriswell. What's the story with Night of the Ghouls? I heard that it was lost for a little while. Wood owed money to the lab who had processed the film. And it had gotten hung up and he owed a lot of money. And eventually he just walked away from it. And that was it. He thought the film would never be seen. And uh, it's weird to think of him, you know, such a driven man leaving. And I don't know what his uh, motives were. But uh, apparently he thought the odds were against him, and he left it there at the lab. So years later, he took a lot of the, apparently took a lot of the same dialogue, which is Criswell's dialogue, recycled it, thinking no one would ever know. That's how you end up with two movies that have the same character saying the same dialogue. So what else did you find out when you were doing research on Orgy of the Dead? Uh, well, one of the things I found fascinating, and it may be a little bit telling about, uh, at this point anyway, uh, Wood and Apostolov's experiences with pornography is that they sort of break some of the cardinal rules with this movie of pornography. And I know this isn't hardcore pornography yet, but for 1965, it was, uh, it, it was considered lurid. And uh, a couple of the rules that they sort of break are Fawn Silver, who plays the vampire character, once again would hope to get Vampira, but wasn't able to get her. So obviously she's dressed as Vampira. Uh, the Fawn Silver character is the most attractive actress in the movie, and of course she's the one actress that never gets naked. You know, that's kind of a kind of a bummer. Another rule that he sort of breaks is for a movie that focuses only on breasts, one of the actresses has tiny, tiny breasts. I, I dare say I had larger breasts than she has. And again, you know, that, that might sound sexist of me, you know, to say, well, she should have bigger breasts. But when you're making a movie entirely about one thing, which is breasts in this certain event, you expect certain things, and I guess that would be one of them. Another interesting thing that we uh, sort of deducted was uh, the lead actor. I can't remember his name offhand. Maybe you remember? Uh, he looks sort of like a, poor, a bloated poor man's Rock Hudson. He's a very, very bad actor, even by Wood's standards. So you start to think, well, how could he have been cast in this movie? He's so bad. He makes Criswell look like a master thespian, even though he's drunk and reading off of cue cards. How did this man get cast? Well, if you look at the credits, you'll see that he is a producer on the film, which sort of explains a lot because, as we know about Wood, Wood was not above taking money in exchange for casting people in his film. Did you ever find out anything about Texas Star, the lady that played the cat in the, the cat dance sequence? Uh, no, we did not. Um, but uh, 
One thing I will point out that I find really fascinating, and it, I think if people watch Orgy of the Dead, they'll see that not only is there a lot of bad dancing going on in this 72 minutes or whatever the, of dancing, but uh, a lot of it, you can tell, is not synced up to the music. And we sort of think that um, it's, it's sort of our take that they didn't have music in place at the time that they put this movie together, so people were told to just dance erotically. And then later they went back and found some stock music that was royalty-free, threw it in there over them. And, and uh, another thing we found out was the dance choreographer was fired during the making of the film, which will also go a long way to explain the, the bad dancing. Again, the, this movie is so fascinating on so many levels. Even though Wood didn't direct it, it's a true Wood film in a lot of ways. I think one of my favorite bits of the film is when Chriswell suddenly becomes a woman. It's the part when uh, Fawn Silver is just about to kind of undress Shirley, and right. off screen you hear someone yell, No! Let her continue to learn. The time is not yet right that they should join with us. But it's obviously a woman's voice, not a right. man's voice at all. That's great. It's like, it confused me for so long. I was like, who is that supposed to be screaming? Oh, and I decided, I guess that's Chriswell, but something, he probably was passed out somewhere. What was funny was uh, Apostoloff kind of hated Chriswell because Chriswell couldn't remember any of his lines. So he and Wood got in an argument, and it was decided that they would write his lines on cardboard and either hold them up or, you know, uh, put them on things so that he could see them. Well, then they found out Criswell forgot his glasses, so then he couldn't see the lines. So then on top of not being able to see the lines, then they turned on the fog machines, and then he really couldn't see his lines. So they had to put the things right in front of him, and that's why, you know, you see Criswell look down about 50 times at the paper. Uh, you know, you can tell that he's reading off the cue cards. And that comes from Apostoloff. Now, again, he was kind of full of shit in a lot of ways. So who knows? You know, the, I don't know that he exaggerated as much as maybe his memory was faulty by the time he was at the end of his life. Uh, a lot of these things seem a little exaggerated, but they make for damn great stories. Yeah, I always felt bad for Chris Weld not remembering his lines because even when I was like, you know, 17 or 18 watching this the first time, I was like, I can remember this guy's entire opening speech. Why can't he? Right. Oh, and everything he says in the movie is just, it's just golden. Anything that he says is just like a master thespian three sheets to the wind. It's great. And he, and he gives it with this very, very over-the-top performance. You know, like he's really into it, like he's performing Shakespeare. It's great. It's great. He's truly, I think, the, the most fun thing about this movie, which is strange for a movie that's supposed to be about women's breasts. But uh, what are you going to say? It is what it is. Hey, uh, I mentioned that movie a couple times, Venus Flytrap. Have you seen it? I have. It took me forever to find it. And, I was going to um, say, it's, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Because, you know, we, got so, we watched them in order. And we got so buried in porn world that we were kind of depressed. I mean, that's part of the reason it took so long. was God, trudging through these porno movies and trying to make anything of interest out of them. And then Venus Flytrap comes up, and it's like a... Even though it's shitty, it's like a... Finding a diamond in amongst dog turds, it, it was a revelation because it was a break from all of these sex movies, you know, really run together. Yeah, I think I got it under the title Revenge of Dr. X or whatever, yeah, and right. Right, right. It, I don't even remember where I found it. It's on YouTube now. Yeah, but this was like years and years ago. I remember actually watching it, literally watching it in my parents' basement, one of these right. things, and 
it was uh, like I had ordered it on VHS and it was oh. 20 bucks, which to me right. was pretty expensive at the time. So, but it was worth it, man, worth every penny because it really, it's satisfied. That was one of the, the few that I really, really liked. But like I said, once you get into the sex stuff, I mean, it's really difficult waters to tread. And we had to pay a ton for some of those movies. Ugh. And then you watch them and you're like, this is just a crappy porn. What do I write about this? There's no plot to this. There's not even Woody in dialogue. It's just, you know, an excuse to have sex frame after frame, which is what porno does and what porno is. You did a man's job, sir. lower into the hills. We must hurry to the finish. I will decide the conclusion. You had the mummy cancel all the others scheduled for this session. Then cancel my order. The moon is almost gone. There is yet time. Don't you want your own pleasure? Oh, if there is only time. Ah, there is always time. All in good time. There is always time. You shall have your pleasures. That I decree. We're back. Thank you to Andrew Rausch for coming on and talking to us about the wonderfully inept films of Ed Wood. That's the name of the book that's coming up. Uh, we'll be sure to post the link when it's available on our Facebook page over at facebook.projection-booth.com. Also, you can always head by the Projection Booth website, projection-booth.com, and we'll have a link up there as well. So we talked a little bit earlier about the writer, Orgy of the Dead, Ed Wood. Let's talk a little bit more about the director, Stephen C. Apostoloff, with our special guest, Jordan Tatteroff, the director of Dad Made Dirty Movies. So, Jordan, you saw Orgy of the Dead. You were obviously impressed by it. I don't know anybody who, who has seen it who isn't impressed by this film. How did you go from that to deciding to do a documentary about Stephen C. Apostoloff? Well, I, I just got uh, this uh, mysterious uh, email from one of my um, friends, and he said, uh, why don't you look up uh, in the Internet who um, filmed the erotic uh, screenplays uh, by Edward? Of course, I knew about uh, Edward uh, before that uh, because of the, the film with, uh, with Johnny Depp. I never knew about uh, Stephen Apostolf and that this Bulgarian guy was somehow associated uh, with um, to the world uh, was director, you know. So that that was uh, the initial uh, impulse, and yeah, I spent like five six years working on that documentary. Uh, but first, I um, I thought uh, it's going to be easy to to make it because um, you know it has uh, a lot of uh, interesting stories and it has uh, a lot of uh, T and A's. Uh, but uh, it turned out that uh, no uh, television uh, want to to show tits and asses uh, in their prime time. So what I've seen from the film, what I saw on your Facebook page was that this was shown on HBO, uh, but in Europe, correct? Yeah, actually, it it, it is shown. Uh, it was shown on a lot of um, televisions uh, around the world um, in a country such as uh, Australia. Brazil, uh, Israel, Russia, Italy, 
So, but unfortunately, it's not available on DVD uh, still. So we're working on on that. So what's the story with that? Is it just the the rights, or just trying to find the right distributor? Maybe the the televisions are uh, like the 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 best uh, channel for for this type of uh, documentary to be shown on. So has it been hard to try and crack the American market with the film? No, uh, in fact, we uh, we didn't really um, try uh, to to do that. You know, we have a, a sales agent uh, here in uh, Europe. And they are based uh, in Austria, but uh, I don't think they uh, really try to to get um, into the into the American market with this film. You know, because to me, watching it, it really is sort of if you're interested in Ed Wood, it's an extra piece of the puzzle and the Ed Wood puzzle that you really need to see. I think also just on its own merits. I mean, I I walked in knowing very little about um, A.C. Stephen, as he was known uh, by his director name, or Stephen Apostoloff, which is his real name, and uh, was just completely blown away by this guy who was uh, such a a hustler, but in a good sense of the word. I mean, you really get a sense uh, through the film and how you put it together, how this guy had these struggles, but he just kept going, okay, what can I do now? What can I do now? What can I do now to try and further himself? Yeah, he had uh, this uh, entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Uh, so he tried a lot of uh, things, and uh, it turned out uh, that um, sex exploitation business uh, was uh, one of the best things he could do at the time. I mean, uh, he started uh, uh, as a producer for Republic Pictures. He made a film uh, out of his story, uh, escaping from uh, Bulgaria and uh, going through all these adventures and uh, landing in uh, Hollywood. So he, he found his place uh, in the sexploitation uh, cinema. And those early years stuff that you capture in there is quite fascinating. I mean, him uh, escaping, as you said, Bulgaria uh, under under the, the Soviets coming in and everything. And then uh, I, the part I thought was quite hilarious is how this guy who is – kind of a city guy kind of you know a little more intellectual ends up on some farm in the middle of canada at some point and you know what um, uh, one of the main uh, inspirations uh, for for this documentary came um, uh, was uh, was a film uh, by stanley kubrick uh, called uh, barry linden and if you if you have seen the the the, the film the main uh, character there is kind of uh, like uh, being pushed uh, in one or other direction uh, by uh, by the fate, you know, is not uh, really uh, in charge of uh, his uh, fate of what is going to happen next. So this was uh, one of the inspirations for 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 the story for putting putting the story together. And I also liked how you had someone uh, do a voiceover that's supposed to be him telling us. Uh, his story. I thought that was a really good device. Yeah, uh, we. I, I used uh, um, uh, real interviews uh, made by uh, Rudolf Gray, the guy who wrote uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy, uh, Ed's uh, biography. Uh, so I used uh, around uh, forty years of uh, forty hours of uh, interviews that uh, Rudolf made um, uh, with uh, Stephen Apostolov. Uh, uh, in the in the mid uh, 80s uh, to the 90s and early 2000s so um the the, the voiceover was um, kind of based on 
on these interviews. What I really liked is that the name of the movie is Dad Made Dirty Movies, and that you spoke to so many people that were a boss-loss family. You spoke to so many of his kids, to one of his wives. Were Was there any hesitation as far as they went? I, apparently, you didn't get the fawn silver treatment when you spoke to them. No, uh, they they were like uh, like uh, an extended family to me. You know, we we became very close to each other through the years, and uh, finally they they were very open when we went there to to shoot uh, the film. They they were very open, and they told me a lot of stories uh, which uh, would otherwise uh, be lost if if I wasn't there to to. To film those stories, you know, so they they were very open. That's great, and they seemed very proud of their dad. And I love the whole idea that for them, this world of sexploitation was just such a normal thing. You know, that's the way that dad paid the bills. He made dirty movies. Yeah, and he was a good uh, fa- father. Why wouldn't be they proud of him? One of the things that was brought up during the documentary, I think at least twice, was the idea that he was working on a sequel to Origin of the Dead. Did you find out what that would have been like? Yeah, I, I, I found uh, the actual screenplay, and uh, it kind of uh, tried to, to take uh, the story to the next uh, level. The, the action takes place uh, in the year 2000. Actually, Steven star- started working on um, on that script in the early uh, 80s uh, when the whole uh, uh, craze um, about uh, Edward started, you know, so he kind of tried to use that. Uh, but unfortunately, he, he couldn't find uh, investors uh, for, for this movie. He was in uh, contact with, um, with a Japanese um, distribution company and they, they were... Really willing to to give him uh, the money to to make Orgy of the Dead Part Two, but uh, this thing somehow died. You know, I would so love to read that screenplay almost as much as I'd love to see a finalized version of Orgy of the Dead Two actually filmed and out there. Actually, uh, some guy uh, from um, UCLA, um, uh, a young film director, uh, he wanted to to to, to to secure the rights for Orgy of the Dead Part 2 uh, in order to, to make a film out of it. I don't know what happened uh, after after that, but uh, this is a story that um, one of the daughters of Steven Apostolf told me some time ago. Now, Rob, you have kind of a Orgy of the Dead connection going on here. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. About a year ago... I was in BookBeat in Oak Park, Michigan, and it's uh, BookBeat is owned and run by Carrie Lauren, who was part of Destroy All Monsters with Mike Kelly and Niagara and Jim Shaw. And uh, Carrie does all kinds of different performance art and music and things like that. And he asked me to do uh, originally I was just supposed to do one voice in this uh, puppet shadow puppet play that he was planning uh, around Halloween. So as things progressed, he's like, can you do this voice? Can you do that voice? Can you do this? Can you do that? And eventually I ended up doing all the voices for the Shadow Puppet play under different guises and manipulations, which included Chriswell, who is the narrator of both uh, The Mothman and um, Spook House Apocalypse. So I will uh, share some clips with you, Mike, that you can 
edit in right about here of me uh, playing Chriswell. On Halloween Eve, near the secret astrophysics lab in the underground bunker of Zug Island, scientists observed a space capsule entering the Earth's atmosphere. The line between science fiction and science fact is microscopically thin. You have witnessed the line being shaved even thinner. But is the menace still with us? Or is the monster gone? Remote areas of the world are still said to be inhabited by harpies, ghouls, goblins, and winged humans. Beware. Beware. Beware of the big green dragon that sits on your doorstep. He eats little boys, puppy dog tails, and big fat snails. Beware. Take care. have a very strong connection for Orgy of the Dead, other than just you know watching it all these years, but there's also a black shampoo connection that one of the doctors at the very end of the film that's taking care of Bob and Shirley after this night with the ghouls is being played by William Bonner, who we talked to Graydon Clark about and who is uh, plays Maddox in as Jack Mehoff in Black Shampoo. So it was always good to see him show up. And I have to say, it took me quite a few years before I actually made that connection. And now when I watch it, I mean, the voice is totally his and it's like oh okay because he i don't even think he gets a close-up in the in the film at all because there's a lot of a lot of medium shots and long shots in this film where are they where did they go they tried to kill me what's this you say who was going to kill you the ghouls they all turned into skeletons take it easy miss one of the things that I wanted to get back to, uh, Jordan, with you on is uh, you said near the beginning that you thought it was quite amazing that a guy from Bulgaria would make Orgy of the Dead and go on to do this. Is there something in the Bulgarian character that uh, what Stephen Apostolov did in America runs a little bit counter to what you expect? Maybe uh, it was strange for me because uh, I knew that uh, Steve Apostolov comes from this um, conservative family here in Bulgaria and uh, he was a very religious uh, man and this was somehow quite the opposite thing uh, to to doing uh, sex movies in Hollywood in the 60s so that's why I was very very surprised to to see that film when you were going through his catalog of work and you showcased quite a bit of it in the documentary what ones stood out for you as films that are worth going back to check out if you haven't had a chance to see them? Well, I would definitely say um, Orgy of the Dead, uh, but uh, this mu- must be a, a prejudice, you know, because um, uh, I know all of his films. Uh, but if I have to choose another one, uh, uh, this will be maybe uh, College Girls. It's uh, it's another um, sexploitation uh, film in black and white uh, from the late 60s. It kind of has uh, humor and uh, it's very stylishly shot. I love the titles of some of his films, like The Cocktail Hostesses, 
the beach bunnies, the snow bunnies. You know, it's just, it feels like just such a little bit of a setup as far as we're going to deal with this group of girls in this film. Yeah, uh, they, they, uh, the titles, they uh, pretty much uh, tell you the, the, the whole story of the, the film, you know, the premise of the film. One of the things that really kind of made me sad when I was watching your documentary was the whole thing where Ed Wood, the Tim Burton film, came out and Apostoloff was pretty much cut right out of the mix. There was Ed Wood stops at one particular point, and that seems to be before this whole relationship with Apostolov begins. Yeah, and uh, he was uh, particularly um, pissed by uh, by the end of uh, Tim Burton's movie, where at the end uh, Tim Burton says that um, Edward went, uh, went on to shoot uh, a lot of um, low-budget um, sex films in the... In the 60s and uh, Stephen Apostolov uh, took this uh, almost as a as an insult, you know, because he had this uh, high opinion about uh, himself, you know, like he kind of uh, he was kind of uh, proud of his work, and he took that as a as an as an insult. This is the one. This is the one I'll be remembered for. I'm still very, uh, very interested in the story of Stephen Apostolov, and um, I hope that this year I'll be able uh, to to publish uh, a book that I wrote about him. So uh, it will tell all those stories that I somehow uh, didn't include in the in the film. So it must be uh, the the complete story of uh, Stephen Apostolov, and of course uh, there will be a lot of um, stories uh, with Edward too. So. As a filmmaker, as someone from Bulgarian background, you know, uh, we don't hear, I, at least in America, I guess, uh, too much about uh, film from Bulgaria. Uh, what would you advise if we could seek out uh, Bulgarian film? Is there any particular films over the entire history of, of uh, filmmaking in the country that we should really see that's really quite good? I would say that in the last few years, um, uh, we have uh, a lot of strong documentaries you know there is this uh, strong wave of um, bulgarian documentaries but if you're asking me about uh, some old uh, films i would definitely recommend a film called uh, the goat horn it's uh, from 1970 it was shot in uh, black and white and it's a historical movie so you should definitely see that one it's one of the best uh, bulgarian movies uh, ever done how is sort of um, the, the history of Bulgarian film or Bulgarian film industry? Is there such a thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, in fact, um, we we have a lot of uh, American uh, productions uh, which uh, were shot here uh, in the um, outskirts of Sofia. There is this uh, huge communist uh, studio called uh, Buyana, a studio from the communist times. And now it's owned by an American company, um, uh, Millennium uh, Films. We have kind of uh, industry, but not as big as uh, in the United States, for example, or some other countries. All right, we are going to take a break and play a preview for next week's show.
undefeated folks, pay some respectful homage, please. Fair, please. Arrogant, arrogant, they're all arrogant. In the good old days, back in the old South, you'd have to drive from back here. <laughs> Get it? Back of the bus? week to talk about Melvin Van Peebles' Watermelon Man to kick off Black History Month. We'll be joined by Bill Byforce of Outside the Cinema. And before we go, we want to thank this special guest host this week, Jordan Tudoroff, for coming by the show. And Jordan, thanks so much for coming on and talking about what you know about Stephen Apostoloff and, of course, your film on him, Dad Made Dirty Movies. Where can folks go to keep up with you and also about the film if they want to get a chance to check it out? The film has a, a Facebook uh, page. You should just uh, search for Dad Made Dirty Movies. And I'm trying to put all the news uh, about the film and uh, Stephen Apostoloff uh, on that page. And um, I must say I'm updated uh I'm updating it uh, pretty regularly. Well, cool. We'll be sure to link over to that over at our website, projection-booth.com, and hopefully we'll be able to announce a DVD or theatrical release of Dad Made Dirty Movies here one of these days soon. So thanks again, Jordan, for coming on the show, and thanks, everyone, for listening. When the moon is full, we shall return to rejoice in our evil lusts next week with Watermelon Man. So I want to ask everyone listening, who can say that we do not exist. Can you? But now, we return to our graves, and you may join us soon.
future will be And it made a lot of sense to me Criswell predicts Many things in the future Criswell predicts What the world's gonna do Trips to the stars Vacations on Mars Snow in July The strangest new cars And if Criswell predicts it You can bet it comes true Criswell predicts Many things in the future Criswell predicts what is gonna be new Swimming pools on wheels Political deals The invention of pills That are seven-course meals He outpredicts Pearson And Nostradamus, too He's been checked and double-checked and he's 90% correct In the things he says are going to be So I listened every night And it turned out he was right Cause he said a thing that you replied to me Griswold predicted You'd be in my future predicted Lost weekends with you the statement sure was bold, but the minute it was told, I knew you'd be the lover I'd really like to hold. Cause if Chriswell predicts it, it's just gotta come true. Is it? You will not be so fortunate. Your existence will cease within moments. No one wishes to see a man dance. 